Well, I invite you to turn with me in the Bible. We are not going to look at 1 Kings this week. Uh, yes, for those of you who know me well, I, I used to say I eat the same cereal every morning, but now I drink the same smoothie every morning. You know, the world's have changed, but uh, I'm, a creature of, I'm a creature of habit. So tough, tough for me to decide, you know, a couple days ago here to switch, uh, switch pathways on the sermon and not just plow through our 1 Kings series, but... Uh, obviously, there's times and seasons to, to do that, to look at what's going on in our world and what's going on in our hearts and really dial in on what Scripture has to say to that. There's actually a good number of things in 1 Kings that could apply, but let's go, go straight to the heart of the matter. In Isaiah 43, we're going to look at Isaiah 43. That's in the Old Testament uh, after Psalms and so forth. But before you get to Daniel and Ezekiel and some of those places. Uh, Isaiah 5, 43, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. And so I'm, I'm shifting gears here from the plan I had in place during the week. So the sermon notes in the back of your worship guide will be great. will be a great preview for something maybe we'll get to in the future. We'll see what we need to do. But um, we, uh, we, and you've got a, a blank sheet there in the back of the worship guide that you can use as well. And there won't be anything on the screen because I didn't have time to, to get that uh, turn, turned in and so forth. But you guys can follow along. You're, you're, sharp, you're sharp people. So uh, a couple of, of things I want to share uh, from God's Word. But let's start with Isaiah 43 today, uh, looking at verses 1 to 3. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we ask today as we draw comfort and we uh, connect, uh, at least mentally, some ways spiritually perhaps, with all those throughout the ages and centuries across our globe who, in seasons of difficulty, have turned to the Bible, to your revealed word, for strength, for hope, for consolation, for comfort. Lord, we do that now, and we know and we trust that you will meet us, you will uplift us, you will even challenge us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a couple of days ago, I think it was actually just hours after it hit the Alabama news that uh, several cases of the virus had hit, I was sort of already planning to go out to uh, Publix. Actually, my wife and I were together to go on the Publix journey, and it was fascinating because you know how quickly news travels today. Everybody's got it on their phone, and, and, and it was just amazing to see the effect as people walked in, are like, well, I need to get into the grocery store, and I know there's only one or two cases, but is that person one of them? Is that person one of them? And them looking back at me with the same sort of caution and hesitation. We walk through the, the store, and, 
you know, we, we had to get some food because we've only got enough food in our house currently to provide for small third world villages for the entire year. But we got to get more food. You're doing the same thing. I know you were. And, and it was interesting to see these uh, shoppers at Publix, their demeanor. Nobody smiled. Not, not much smile. People uh, kept their distance from one another a good bit. People really didn't want to look at each other face to face. No small talk or chatter. And there wasn't the usual, uh, hey, you only got one or two items, uh, go on ahead, right? No, no, I'm in line. I'm getting out of this place as fast as I can. And so it was fascinating to me how quickly, and I can say this because I grew up in Chicago and Pennsylvania, how quickly in the heart of Dixie, the coronavirus turned everybody in Alabama into a bunch of Yankees. <laughs> now, Yankees are good, good people. Um, we've got them in our family. You, you know them and love them. We've got a couple in here today with us, too. Um, utterly fascinating, though, on the serious side. Utterly fascinating how little it took to affect our relating to one another. Also intriguing how it didn't matter uh, how tall someone was, how short someone was, how little they were, how, how old they were, big they were, what they were wearing, what your tone of, of skin shade was, what your nationality. All of a sudden, whether you're walking through Publix or walking anywhere, we're all in the same boat, right? We're all of a sudden, all, the field has been leveled because anybody can be affected or infected. So I thought about that, and it's uh, something I want to circle back to today, how this shapes and affects our social interactions, how we view each other. It's a good thing to think about and apply biblical truth to, for sure. But, but there's way more going on than that. Even if you're trying to manage the situation rationally and reasonably, everybody's anxiety level is up. Right? Because even if it's just like, what might happen next, or what do I need to plan for that I'm not used to planning for, let alone if you've got some level of phobias or fears or things going on in your, in your life, those things rise to the surface. You add on top of that the frustration that we have. So there's the fear, and then there's the frustration as well. And then when frustration, I think fear and frustration extend over time, to me, I would call that stress. I don't know what the uh, clinical definition of stress is, but fear and frustration over some time and increasing magnitude creates some stress. So we're all going through that. We've all got that going on inside of us right now, emotionally, I guess you would say. And then we've got this other level of reality that this virus is bringing to the surface, which actually we probably ought to be more cognizant every single day, and ought to be looking to the Lord for strength more with every single day. And that is our frailty and our mortality. We read it in the call to confession or assurance of pardon today, I think it was Psalm 103, that we're but dust, right? And this reminds us, because this thing actually, as serious as it is, we all, our imagination can run there. It could be way more serious, right? This could be something that lots and lots of people, more than are currently 
being affected would be affected and would be dying. Those things have happened. And it also reminds us that every day across the globe, we are experiencing, we don't usually think of it this way, but it is God's hand of the curse and judgment that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve's sin. And as a result, too, of our ongoing sin, uh, we're experiencing that because people die, right? All of us, our days are numbered, whether people die in a car crash or uh, have uh, some kind of sickness like we've got uh, going on right now, natural disasters. Uh, it, it's, it's the reality of our frailty, and it, it hits us because we like to think that's not the case for us. But we're all in that same boat. We're all in that same boat. It says in the Psalms, all flesh are like grass, and all our glory is like the flower of the field. Grass withers, flower fades. Grass wither and flower fades. The other thing that's happening, and then I'm going to get to a couple of ways we can grow through this and apply God's word to this. The other thing that's happening, which ties into our sermon from last week, looking at Solomon and all of his idols and how they just came to dominate him. And we looked at these different idols that are in our hearts. I put those, uh, that article from last week out on the welcome table as well. If you missed last week and want to think more about how we make idols and the beauty of taking those down and letting God work in your life in the midst of them, that article's back there. But as we think about our idols, I mean, what are some of the biggest ones that we cling to in our society and in our lives today? Health, right? We, we, we want to be, isn't there nothing wrong? And the idols are weird because there's nothing wrong with them in themselves. They're just wrong by themselves. If that's the only thing we're looking to. So nothing wrong to be healthy, eat healthy, work out. But, but we elevate it up to a, a level above anything else. And, and now guess what? It's not in our control the way we would like for it to be. It never really was in our control as much as we thought, but our health is being exposed as an idol. Our prosperity and the security that comes with it, right? Heaven forbid you actually logged in and looked at your accounts, whatever accounts you've got this week, whether those have a little bucket in there or a big bucket, the bucket's way down, right? You know, that, that wasn't a fun journey if you actually logged in and looked. That's something we put our hope in, that that's going to that's gonna save us. That's going to solve our problems. And then the third thing I think that's a big idol that's being exposed, this may sound off the wall, but is uh, I would describe our, amuse, our, our amusements, our distractions, the things that often help us get along when some of the other things aren't working so well. And one of the biggest ones is sports, right? <laughs> That's just a big thing. Now, whether you watch sports, whether your kids play sports or you play sports or whatever, I mean, the other night when the, my dad's in town, so we had the Big Ten channel on, the Big Ten channel was on, and when they announced that they were canceling in the NCAA finals, those ESPN folks, I, I mean, I felt bad for the announcers. They were, they were just disheveled. You could they could not generate any of their usual enthusiasm because they were heartbroken that the season is gone. And guess what? The whole rest of us were, too. Because now we're, now we're not only stuck at home, and we're reminded that we're not as strong and as vital as we thought we were, and we're reminded that the 
safety net of our finances and so forth isn't as strong as it was, but now we can't amuse ourselves, right? We can't amuse our way out of it. We've got to face the things that are before us. So, have I identified the problem adequately? What do we do about it? Isaiah 43. Tons of scriptures we could look to, but this one's certainly a good one. But now, thus says the Lord, okay, God speaks, He says things, and we can draw strength from listening to them. Thus says the Lord, who created you, He, he knows us, He created us, He formed us. So He knows you, He knows your body, He knows who you are, He's aware of you. Fear not. Why? Should we fear not? Because we are pretty confident the medical people will get it all figured out. Should we fear not? Because... At the end of the day, we know it's not all going to be that worse, all that bad. Fear not because, um, you know, we're unlikely to get it because you're, or if you get it as a young person, you're going to be reasonably okay. That seems to be the statistic. No, fear not because God has redeemed us. He's bought us back. He's rescued us. That's what we ought to draw strength from. I've called you by name. What a beautiful passage today. Some here may be still sorting out what you believe or our, our uh, streaming audience may be listening in and trying to figure out what you think about these things. If you've surrendered your life to Christ in faith and repentance and acknowledged Him as Lord and Savior, then you belong to God. You're, you're His. He, he cares for you. Verse 2, when you pass through the waters... Because you might say, well, that's, that's great. Okay, that's cool. God's got some general interest in my well-being. No. When you pass through the waters, He's going to be with you. When you go through the rivers, you shall not be overwhelmed. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Now you say, well, that's not exactly true. I could die of this or get really sick or someone around me could. This is where the hope of the gospel comes in because the hope of the gospel is that through Christ, that's not the end. Even if that happens, even if that worst thing happens, the Bible teaches us, and we're coming into this season, what better time to think about it than Lent, as we come into Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday, the Easter Sunday, to be reminded that Jesus ultimately takes care of all things. That's our ultimate hope as Christians. It's not in anything else in this life, because God's choice may be, it's hard to hear, that He doesn't protect us the way we'd like to be protected. But for the Christian, that, that's not lost, that's gain. Apostle Paul said it, for me to die, to live as Christ and to die is gain. And then verse 3 it says, just the first part of it, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, there it is, your Savior. He saved us. He saved us through, through Christ. What are some of the implications of that? Well, let me, let me invite us, uh, even as we, uh, we imbibe, we smell the, the sweet smell of hand sanitizer the next few days. We take that in, you know. Uh, let, let's also smell, if you will, some opportunity for, uh, for growth, for spiritual growth. Because this could be a season where we could just uh, focus entirely on the logistics of how we're going to get this and how we're going to get to this place and what we're going to do. Uh, I, I sure hope it's for all of us a season, though, where we would receive the teaching that God wants to give to us, right? This stuff is not by accident. 
Uh, I saw the Babylon Bee, I think was this morning, a satirical Christian publication, but very, very humorous this time. It's got some good ones this week for the introverts in the community about the blessing of the coronavirus for the introverts who can't stand greeting time at church. So, you know, there's, there's that out there. But this one was, um, you know, corona, coronavirus statistics, right? We've all been caught by those headlines, and then we want to see, oh, how many? Oh, what percentage? And it was, you know, colon, 100% of the world still under God's control, right? So let's take that in and see if we can grow today. A couple of ways that might happen for you, just to think about. One, this might be a season to turn in fresh and deeper ways away from our idols and into Jesus. Into Jesus. Here's what I'm here to tell you. Jesus and a relationship with God is the only thing that can fully satisfy you and me. It's what we were designed to do, hardwired to do, to be in dependent relationship to God. And anything that blocks that, even really good things, like being healthy, like having prosperity, and like enjoying amusements and sports and activities, any of those things that keep us away from delighting deeper in God is problematic for us. I think it was uh, John Piper who has famously said, God's most glorified when we're most satisfied in Him. So if God causes you and me to be more satisfied in Him this week, that's a good thing. That's an opportunity in this next couple of weeks, however long it goes on. It's interesting, there's been a couple of good articles in the Gospel Coalition. I'll highlight some thoughts from just a a couple of them. Uh, One of the comments that was made in the article, I think it was eight, eight uh, ways to grow, or eight reasons we should hope during the coronavirus or something. It was eight. It had the number eight in it. It's, he says this about control and that idol. So one of our idols is, our idol is that we can control health, prosperity, and amusement. So it's really ultimately comes back to control, right? If we can manage it, that's one of our idols. And, and he, he says this, he says, we love to be in control. We fancy ourselves captains of our destiny, masters of our fate. The reality is that today, more than ever before, we can control significant parts of our lives. Think about this. We can control our home's heating and security remotely. Probably all, a bunch of you can pull that out on your phone and do it right now. We can move money around the world with the click of an app. We can even control our bodies to some degree through training and medicine. But perhaps this sense, he says, of control is an illusion, a bubble that the coronavirus has popped, revealing the reality that we're not really in control. So what would it look like for you and I not to run from that reality, not to grab the next thing that's going to give us some sense of control, but to sit and receive it? and then to turn to God in in deeper ways. Here's the cool thing, and I think it's the same uh, reading an article points out, uh, in the midst of total loss of control, we can do something that's actually the most powerful thing that we can ever possibly do, and that is, if you will, a way to direct our desire for control. And that is that you and I can put our hands together and get down on our knees or sit in our chair or wherever you like to get. And we can pray and not just 
pray sort of general prayers to kind of get us through the day and for all the stuff that we hope the Lord will give us, we can pray deeper prayers, more dependent prayers, uh, more God-centered prayers. So it's an opportunity to grow that way, that our idols would be, uh, we'd recognize our idols and we'd turn to Jesus, particularly that we'd turn to Him in prayer together. I tried to model a little bit of that if I could. Uh, I'm an imperfect prayer, as I said, someone growing in my prayer, but even in the prayer to this morning that I prayed, I'm trying to model for us how maybe we might do that in the upcoming weeks, even if we're home by ourselves with just, just ourselves or our family in the next couple of weeks. Powerful opportunity to grow in prayer. Second thing we might do is we can grow in our passion, grow in our passion to meet face-to-face. Uh, we are the social media generation, right? And so we have, both young and old, we have learned or been taught, depending on how you look at it, to relate to one another largely through this, right? Or something like it. And, and that, again, there's a lot of cool things by that. We're actually seeing it. Heaven forbid if the internet goes down, the internet and the power goes down. We're in a whole lot of worse trouble. But uh, right now, interestingly enough, we can still relate to people are watching this service, right? Through the digital connection. So I'm not bashing that as a whole or saying that it's bad. But here's the challenge with that. It is really easy for us to forget how incredibly valuable it is just to be able to look at each other in the eye and see another human being face to face, right? Whether that's in a work setting, we might not like some things about our work, but there's probably people there that we are able to see, whether it's our, our church family, whether it's our community activities, whatever those things are. And so we're, I think, being given an opportunity to appreciate more what it is to meet face to face. I think in particular, for a lot of us, the, you're, this, is, this is pastor mode, I'm going into it right now, but just hang with me. For a lot of us, church stuff, whether it's small group or life group or Sunday worship, it's the uh, last thing on our calendar and the first thing off. Anything else comes along that might disrupt it, and usually it has to do with those idols we talked about, right? Uh, opportunity for sports or amusement, uh, all not bad things. Opportunity for health or fitness. I'm always intrigued by, you know, reaching out to somebody. Sorry if this cuts to the heart for some of y'all. Hey, would you like to be a part of a men's group that's going to take you about an hour and 15 minutes a week? Oh, man, too busy. I, I work out, you know, all, all those times. Like, really? You work out seven hours a week. You don't have one hour to get together and enjoy that fellowship with one another? How, how is that? Let's, let's do that. Let's get face-to-face with one another. We're invited that way. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about this in his well-known book, Life Together. And again, Bonhoeffer, if you've been around, you've heard me reference him before, uh, lived during World War II, German theologian and pastor, was outside of Germany when the, the Nazi regime was rising and yet chose to come back into 
uh, Germany in the midst of that to really commit to the people there was a pastor. And so he, he preached as long as he could up front. You think about us having to maybe shut down worship services. You know, in their time, they, they were stopped from worshiping if they weren't uh, on the party line. They were shut down. And then he went on the radio, which would have been the Internet of the day, right? Their live stream back then. And sure enough, they shut down his radio broadcast. And pretty soon they came and took him and put him into to prison. It's interesting, the things that he wrote in that book, Life Together, which is all about Christian community. But I'll, uh, I'll read you one. I've got it here on my phone. Give me, give me a second. He said this, and uh, thinking about him being in prison where he could see people occasionally, but he was in a cell and isolated from the rest of the world. He said this, he said, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of inc incomparable joy and strength to the believer. And then he followed up with this. He said, it is true, of course, that what is an unspeakable gift for the lonely individual, talking about Christian community, just the simple thing of coming to church each Sunday, what is a simple gift, an unspeakable gift of God for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot, that means stomped underfoot, by those who have the gift every day. Right? So this is an opportunity to remember why this is valuable when we can do it, right? Why that's valuable. I'm not saying it may not be wise in the weeks ahead for us to, for the benefit of our larger community and to be loving and to support what needs to happen, that we may need to take a, a break from gathering like this. But, but uh, Bonhoeffer challenges us with the value of it. You know, one of the things that keeps us from enjoying that is really and it's at work in the midst of this, is the evil one, right? He loves to take the things that could be used for our benefit and our growth and our spiritual upbringing and, and then twist them in different ways. And in the Screwtape Letters, a book by uh, C.S. Lewis that's all about how the demons would tempt a particular person, I love the section in there where the, the demonic being is inviting the young Christian to become displeased with Christian community to, as I think Lewis writes, to become uh, unnerved and disappointed and annoyed by the oily face of the person in the chair next to them, by the squeaky shoes of the lady down the pew, where we become annoyed by things with one another that really shouldn't annoy us. And, and Lewis says this remarkable thing, and this will be my last part on this whole fellowship and face-to-face, -face, but it's always stuck with me. He's writing about the, the, the demonic being and his temptation for us to see each other annoying and distracting. And instead, he says, if a believer could look at a fellow Christian today, what you, what you and I will look like when we are in our glorified state, right? Not be, we're not becoming angels. We're becoming glorified human beings free of our sin and fully magnified by the Lord in our heavenly state, which is going to happen for every single one of us uh, when Jesus returns or when we die and are you know, resurrected. So when, if, if you and I could see each other, if the most annoying, disappointing person that you can think of in our church, in our church body, if you saw that person in their glorified state, Lewis says, you and I would be tempted to bow down and worship. They would be so amazing, so impressive, so unbelievable that we would be awed and drawn, 
right? So think about that as we think about our fellowship with one another. Um, your pastor's got warts and all. You have warts and all. We have lovable things about us and unlovable things about us. God's brought us together into Christian community for, for our good. The last thing we can do is we can shine like the stars. We can shine like the stars. Because, you, you know, the stars are, well, it's cloudy, bad, bad illustration, Pastor. All right. You know the stars are up there on a clear day, a clear sunny day, right? Everybody knows that, right? They're, they're still up there. It's just sunny out and bright, so we cannot see through to them. They don't disappear at night. They're not like the moon rotating around. The stars are still up there. But when the darkness comes of night, what happens? The stars shine. You can see them, Right? And I'm not saying this in some sort of uh, narcissistic way that we as Christians think we're the greatest you know, gift to the world. I'm saying that's what God wants to do through us and use us, that we have the opportunity when we believe the words of Isaiah 43 and we take that into our soul and we begin to live that out, then we can shine because the darkness comes in really quick. Not long. It doesn't take much for people to be fighting and hitting each other over you know, things of paper towels or packs of meat at the grocery stores. It's, it's in the news, right? It doesn't take much. And so when we as believers simply live out our faith, we can, uh, we can shine like the stars in the heavens. It's interesting. I read another article this week talking about the early church, and it was also on the Gospel Coalition, a little bit more of an academic one, I suppose. But it said, you know, what the early church teaches us about uh, how to respond to coronavirus. And I won't read through all of it. You can take some time if you want to look at it. But if somebody went back, I studied the early church in my college years and so forth, so always interested in it. But he writes about the way that the early Christians responded to the epidemics that swept across the Roman Empire, right? We've got records of those things, actually. And this one person in particular, uh, Dionysius was his name, writing from a pagan perspective, observing the still very incubator church, right? It was still not the prominent religious body in the Roman Empire, but had grown. This is, I think, around the year 250 or so. And he says this, he says, most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of the danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them, listen to this, with them departed this life serenely happy. They went and cared for people and they caught what they had and they died for they were infected he said by others with the disease drawing on them the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains and then related to cyprian cyprian was a bishop in north africa has written this there's nothing there's nothing remarkable in cherishing cherishing merely our own people with the due attentions of love but that one might become perfect or shine if you will who should do something more than the heathen men? Who, one who, overcoming good with evil and practicing a merciful kindness like that of God, should love his enemies as well. Thus, 
the good was done to all men, not merely to the household of faith. These are historic writings about the early church and how they moved into. Now, again, for us today, that may apply largely to the medical people, and it may make sense. The best way we may care is to stay at home, so we're not a carrier in sharing this with other people. But boy, was I excited to see folks that I know from our own congregation without any prompting as far as I know, certainly not any prompting from me, but no prompting from anybody else in our church, getting on social media and saying, hey, I'll go pick up groceries for people. And I'm talking about people, some of these people in our congregation already got a whole lot of their own problems, right? In a sense, some of these folks that that I saw do that, they've already got coronavirus type stuff going on in their life. And it was fascinating to see how I presumed that maybe they'd been shaped by that in such a way that when this crisis came, they're ready to shine like stars, to learn how to serve. So invite us to consider. I don't know what that'll look like. Again, we've got to be wise. There's reasons to be wise through this, but how you and I might be able to to shine through this is worth us thinking about as well. I've already contacted our mayor and let the mayor know that we're ready as a church to serve how we can. So you need to pray about and think about if we're called upon to do that in some way, what that might uh, look like uh, for, for us. I like what Psalm 97.3 says, real, real succinct. I like short little things that are succinct. Trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. That's a beautiful opportunity. We've got to shine like the stars. And in order to do that, we've got to put away our worry. We've got to put away, we've got to deal with our fear, all of those things with the Lord. We've got to put away those idols and we've got to invite God to, to be the one who's in control. I'll close with this. Corey Tenboom, y'all are familiar with her, also lived through the, the uh, 1940s and all of that. Her, her and her sister, as I recall, were imprisoned, um, held there during the, the Nazi regime, Corey Ten Boom wrote uh, this. She said, Worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It empties today of its strength. Worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows. You and I can't control what's coming tomorrow or the next day or the next day after that. It empties today of its strength. Let's pray together.